previously on the Simply Human Podcast. Hey, that guy went in there a long time ago. Like, what's he been doing? And I just have to, like, open the door and, like, just come come out, with, you know, tail between my legs. Just, the, oh, and then... Not a tail. <laughs> <laughs> that was something that was that latched onto me from the um, porta potty. It's episode 213 of the Simply Human Podcast with your host, Mark and Rick. Two human beings being human. Our goal is to help you understand how humans are designed to eat, sleep, move, and enjoy, and how you can start living more like a human today. On today's show, it is Rena Weiner. She is great. We already talked to her, and she's probably like, I thought we did this interview like six months ago. We haven't published it yet. She's an aspiring author and mentor. She's fun. She's enthusiastic. She's the past president of a Postmasters chapter, which we talk about. She's president of Why Wait LLC, the mother of two adults, independent children. In her former career, Rena represented a pharmaceutical company as an oncology consultant and was awarded the honor of number one salesperson in the nation. <coughs> Rena Weiner is on the show. We talked to her, I think it was like September, honestly, when I had this call with her. <laughs> Listen, we're a little bit backed up. I've yeah. had some uh, you, human issues and also some now some computer issues. Yeah, so yeah. And we're, we're, com- we're coming back. It really does sound good, honestly, like t- hashtag technology. Um, so we're going to get to the interview. One of the things that we can do if we already, normally we, we do our intro and then we call the guest like right back to yes. back. So we don't know what we're talking about. I right. was reminded today that I used to say, we talked to our guest about da, 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 and I would list it off. You know how I know that? Why? Because today when I was like kind of, uh, checking the sound on the show that I just released today, Carrie Thewitt. Through yes, I, I I was fast forwarding through it, and I got to the very end. I wanted to hear how the end sounded, and it just automatically started playing episode four, which was the George Diggs part two. Huh? And I just didn't stop it, and I listened to it, and I listened to the intro on the next one, and I th- was I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I'm glad you did. Jen just said, "Oh boy," from the other room. <laughs> Uh, tell your wife happy birthday for me, please. Hey, uh, Jen, Rick says happy birthday. Thank you, Rick. Oh, she's such a sweetheart. She is. Um, so, oh my, how long until we have Doctor Jen? By the way, um, less than a year, like about a Will year. Will she get to look at my screwed up hips and tell me, like, oh yeah, we need surgery? Oh. Will she? Uh, she in? is excited to look at your hips. <laughs> because Rick, it's all in the hips. <laughs> Not that kind of doctor, you goose. Again? Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> <Are you> did. <dead? laughs> so here is very quickly. We're gonna get to the, since we're so backlogged. We're recording like three intros in a row yes. here, and so we're gonna get to uh, the, this other one, Maline. Um, uh, Miss Maline was awesome. We're going to do her intro in just a second. We've already done that interview. Go humans, go back. Like the the Diggs interview, it still holds up. It's still a great interview. He is super smart. And then it was uh, the humans being human. You were on. I listened. Me and Jen tonight listened to when you came on in episode six and told about burning your hands on the tray. <laughs> it's that was a, such a great bakery moment. Well, and like the way that you tell it, it's such a good story. Like this, there's so many. It's just we were both just laugh, laughing out loud like at the story. So go spend some time, humans, going back. There's 200 and some, some odd episodes out there 
Uh, and they all, I think, still hold up pretty well. And it's my voice sounds different. I I don't know, I don't know how why or how, but it just I sound different. Um, you, you sounded pretty good. You sounded the same. I um, sound terrific. Yeah. I sound like a million, million dang dollars. Yeah. So that's the tip. Like so, I do right now on speakerphone. It really <laughs> sounds fine. I can't believe how good it sounds. I like. am extremely self-conscious yeah. about the way this sounds because I no. know how it used to sound when we used to do it literally right. on it, actual speakerphone. It and doesn't, it sounded like I was talking in a tin can. It really doesn't sound like that at all. I wonder if it's like Zoom on your phone like doing know, something man. but it's uh uh oh dang it what was i gonna say about how it sounds crud your butt smells did you fall into some crud or something um sure. very quickly i you know we work with college students in town and one of them he's 18 years old i made a tommy boy reference and he finished the he said the next line and i was kind of like my radar was kind of like huh? wow and i and i started like doing tommy boy he knows it as good as we do I was like, "What? What is wow. this magic? What? Like how?" And he was like, "I have two older sisters, and their their friends, who are like their her their guy friends. One of them liked it. He said, I've probably watched that movie a hundred times.' And we just wow. and he kind of has a Chris Farley. He can do a really good Chris Farley. He has a poster of Chris Farley in his dorm room. Like, Listen, I know there's like, not hope all, for the future. all classic movies hold up. Like an officer and a gentleman, you're like, yeah. that's not what the <laughs> naval officers wear anymore. But like, uh." I feel like Tommy Boy oh. is a movie that that uh, I feel like that holds up. It's the story of of human human beings. Yes. Quit playing with your dinghy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's your theory. <laughs> we could just sit here and do it for the next hour. Um, okay, so let's get right to it. Um, so we can get to Rena and I can like text her the link and be like, hey, we finally did your show. So sorry about that. We, but how about this? We talked to her about her background, her book, Trust Your Doctor, but not that much. The dynamic between doctors and patients, best resources to learn about what's ailing you, being on both sides of the table, getting a second opinion, clinical trials, participating in your own healthcare, cancer treatment, being strong before a big treatment, Toastmasters, and riding a motorcycle with her husband. Here's Rena. Asheville, North Carolina. Is that where you're from originally? <laughs> no. <laughs> originally, many years ago, Brooklyn. Brooklyn? Yes, sir. So, but I've lived in a lot of different places. But yes, I always say that is where I'm from. I'm from Brooklyn. We have a Brooklyn theme going because the last guy, the last show that we released was uh, Joe DeSena, who's the creator of the Spartan Races, and he's from New York City. Good. How and about where that? Are you from? Oh, I'm sorry, Mark. Where are you from? I grew up in uh, like North Texas, like Dallas, and I've been out in West Texas for like 20 years. Oh. So I'm out in Abilene. And my co-host, who cannot be on the show tonight, he's at a... <laughs> and there's some fancy, big, important meeting that he has to be at tonight. So it's just me. Good. So I'm you sorry. So we will we will do an intro of you like in the in the beginning of the show, like when I'm Rick and I will get together and, and record a deal. So we don't have to do like the whole intro but um, we'll just we'll just kick it right off, and I just want to kind of hear your Cliff's Notes version of your story, kind of where your what your background is. I know that I, I've read it all through it, but I just kind of want, in your own words, just kind of give us who are you and how did you get to where you are today. Do you want that now, or you want that on the show? Let's do it. We're recording. Wonderful. Hi, <laughs> I'm Rena Weiner, and I am a former national oncology trainer, a nursing instructor, and now a cancer patient in remission. 
the reason that I wrote the book, which is a question that comes up very often, and the book is entitled Trust Your Doctor, but not that much, Be Your Own Best Healthcare Advocate, is all about using some of what I learned in the pharmaceutical industry, but also years of being a cancer patient and learning to advocate, to ask a lot of questions and be involved in your care. No matter what illness and problem you're having, it helps you and it helps the doctor help you. So that's why I wrote the book and that's why I talk about this. Very good. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about how it's changed. You know, I just read, uh, and if Rick were on the call, he would make fun of me for bragging that I read some books. Um, <laughs> but the Lonesome Dove uh, is part of a tetralogy. It's part of four books. And this, and like doctors back then, it's like, all right, well, here's some whiskey. We're going to cut your leg off now. And that was like the end of it, right? Like you couldn't argue. There was no internet. How have things changed? I mean, even in the last 20, 30 years before the internet, the doctor was just kind of like, you know, like all knowing, all powerful. And he said something that you had and that was it. Well, now it's like I, I was in physician recruiting uh, for a few years and I can imagine how like pharmaceutical reps can much like physician recruiters can like you talk to so many doctors and you're in so many offices. You could, if you, if push came to shove, you could like fake like you were a doctor. Like you know all the words, you know how they talk, you know the parlance and all that. And so, so I do know as a physician recruiter how doctors would get really frustrated because patients come in and they're like, well, I already looked this up and uh, I know what this is. So I just need you to write this script for me and then we'll be done with this. Talk about kind of how it's changed since the internet has kind of gone crazy. Well, it has. It's changed significantly. And people are better informed about their bodies, about the choices that are available, and more likely to have a well-informed conversation with a physician. That being said, though, there are still plenty of people who are intimidated, uncomfortable, and feeling like the doctor knows it all, and I am not able to participate in an intelligent conversation. So there are those, and that still exists. But then there are also, like you said, people who come in and say, look, I know it all, just write the script, I have the diagnosis. And I think you have to really be somewhere in between. You learn what you can about your health problem, whatever that might be, but then you also realize that you haven't been to medical school and they have the daily experience you know, of treating other patients with a similar illness that you have. And so they do deserve some of that. Right, yes. You cannot get everything you need to know about a health problem on the internet. Just doesn't exist. Right, yeah, I'm kind of going through some of this. My mom has been dealing with uh, type two diabetes for my, basically my whole life. And I'm almost 40 and, uh, and you know, she's got an endocrinologist out here who's telling her one thing and I do, you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm kind of in between, obviously didn't go to medical school, but I'm not just like, uh, wait, you mean there's sugar and cereal? What? You know, like I'm not that, I'm not that guy, but I'm kind of in between. I've done a lot of reading. I've done a lot of stuff. And there's some things that like the endocrinologist is saying that I'm like, golly, I just, I don't know about that. But like what I always come down to is he went to medical school and I didn't. So I got to, I got to give him that. It's like he, he trumps me there. <laughs> right. But you can also question. There's nothing wrong with question, yep. you know, doing it with respect, but mention that, you know, you have read this and that and how does he feel that this might 
kind of oh, be an important piece of your mother's care right. if you're advocating for her. And advocates ask questions right. and it's okay to ask. And like I always say, physicians as well as healers are educators. So there, you may pick up information that he or she doesn't have. And it's, and it's okay to have impact and, you know, ask more and more and more until you feel that you and your mom are in a really comfortable right. and safe place. Right. So what, uh, like, you know, WebMD obviously is kind of the first one What that people go to. What are your, like, kind of go-to resources for people? It's like, okay, I'm going to see this doctor about this issue. What's my best? You know, going, like, looking it up in the encyclopedia at the library. Like, what's the, what's the best source? Well, the best source for people, if they know what their health problem is, is to get in touch with a foundation that specializes in your illness, like huh. a diabetic organization, cancer, lupus, whatever, you know, if you have a specific problem to get in touch with them and they will provide you very specific, very valid information about your illness. And when you look at that, then you know that that is important. You can count on it. Uh, that is a very necessary and, and like I said, a very valid way to get well informed. And then you can also look on the internet, but I know when I was first diagnosed years ago with this blood abnormality, I had a physician tell me to really be careful on the internet because people will put stories on right. that are so scary and so crazy that you know, you'll know you be like up all night worrying about it. And uh, what I try to tell people is that is somebody else's story. That's not your story. Every patient is unique. So get valuable information. Like if you're going to a website, well then go to WebMD, go to Cleveland Clinic, go to the Mayo some, so you know that you have information that you can count on. Right. Yeah, I like I like that idea. I'd actually never thought of that, like going to the foundations, things like that. And then I think a second, a close second is like posting on Facebook, hey, I've got this thing. What should I do about it? And then I think you'll probably get some really valid and good um, suggestions in the comments of your Facebook. Just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> I was hoping I was thinking, oh my gosh, don't say that, don't say that. But on the other yeah, hand, though, yeah. on the other hand, there are Facebook groups right. that pertain to a special, uh, a specific, I should say, specific health problem. And those people might be supportive, might have right. some input that's valuable to you. Right. So how do you deal with, you're at the doctor, you're asking yeah. questions, but the doctor is still like talking over your head and you're just like, hey, just give it to me. Like, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, what is the, like, how do you deal with the, I call that overspeak. What do you, what do you do in that situation? Well, I ask the doctor specifically to say, you know what, I really, that's a term that I'm not familiar with. Could you spell that for me? Can you tell me the name of medication that you are suggesting I try? So you, you take notes. You also can take somebody with you. Yep. If this is a brand new scary diagnosis, uh, you can also ask if you can record what they're saying. Ooh, yeah. And then when you get home and you hear it and maybe hear it once or twice, it seems to make more sense to you. And then you can do your research and be more comfortable with, with where you're at. Right. Does it, I guess it gives like, uh, you and me kind of have an advantage cause we were, you know, you're in, you know, yeah. uh, 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 medical profession. I, you know, I was in around it a lot. So you kind of understand some of this stuff. Um, how does that, how is that uh, like 
what does that do to your experience as you've been on kind of both sides of it now? Yes, I have. And it's very different, Mark. I can tell you that, you know, what was my job was to really talk about clinical trials to oncologists just about every day and physician, uh, I'm sorry, and pharmacists and oncology nurses. And then I became a patient. So instead of sitting opposite across from them at their desk in consultation room, there I was, you know, sitting on the examining table on that little paper stuff um, with my questions and comments. So, you know, when you are a patient, it puts you in a whole different place. It's, it's scary. Right. It's definitely scary. Um, but like I said, if you've checked out who you are seeing and feel confident that this, this physician knows what they're talking about, uh, then you can, you can feel better. Not great, but better knowing that, that somebody really has your back. Right. Do you, have you worked with people? Like what are your experiences, like personal friends of yours that have kind of done some of this stuff? Do you have any like, uh, just stories of people that, that you've kind of coached up on this stuff and like a, a positive result that's come of it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, with my own husband, and this wasn't cancer, this was a skin disorder that was misdiagnosed and he was getting worse and worse and worse. And it wasn't just like he had, you know, a little eczema. I mean, this was so uh, painful and, and so disfiguring and months and months went by four different doctors. And I thought, wait a minute, this is crazy. If, if this is the right diagnosis, why is he sick and getting sicker, not seeing any improvement? So I thank goodness used some of my old pharmaceutical experience and, and a little bit of knowledge. And I went online to find out what was the newest drug for this particular disorder. Um, and I found the clinical trials participant, one of the investigators. And uh, anyway, long story short, he went to somebody else who knew immediately that that was the wrong diagnosis. But that took some effort to find somebody uh and i'm i'm grateful that i did so sometimes you have to keep looking and and what uh some doctors had told me uh in a book that i read dr wen and dr kazowski does the diagnosis make sense to you the patient and if it seems so like out of whack then you really need to say wait a minute this is wrong maybe i should go to somebody else Yeah. So there's a couple of things out of what you just said that I want to, I want to get to first okay. being second opinions when like, it, you know, especially like, well, and then the second thing I want to talk to you about is like what to do if you're in like a smaller town with not all of like the subspecialty coverage you would find like in a bigger city. Um, and so, you know, being in a small town, sometimes you're like your doctors are your friends. And then it can be kind of awkward to be like, yeah, okay, thank you, I, but I'm going to go get a second opinion. How do you deal with that, and when is it the right time to get a second opinion? Well, if you have a serious illness or a complicated illness, then it is always right to ask. And you can ask very politely, say, Dr. So-and-so, I really am concerned, and I think it might be helpful if I were to get a second opinion. And any doctor who has little confidence in their right. abilities as physicians is going to say, will say fine. That yeah. it's that it's it's okay and ask them directly. Do you know somebody who specializes in X Y Z who would be the right person to talk to? Because I know some people who live in smaller towns and have been very uncomfortable asking and going just to 
some doctor who does this procedure like once a year, right? They, they get in trouble. Yeah. So if you are polite and and confident that this is the right thing to do, then it's okay. If you're in a little small town too, by the way, there are clinical trials, if that's something that you would consider all across the country. You don't have to live in New York or Dallas or, or LA to find somebody or who participates in a clinical trial that might be not too far from your home. Hmm. So that's a great way to be, great place, I should say, and a great way to be treated. Yeah, so you just you just killed two birds with one stone there, as they say. Yeah. So I was going to say, okay, you're in a small town, uh, especially let's say that uh, you kind of get crossways with one doctor, and may, let's say he's the only uh, right. doctor who's the only nephrologist in town or whatever it is, then, then what do you do, you know, kind of deal. And so you kind of answered that by... And the clinical trial thing. So let's talk about how do you find those? How do you sign up for those? What does that mean? Like, what does it look like to be part of one of those? Well, I've been in four clinical trials, so I can talk to you very yeah. directly. <laughs> how do you find them? Well, first of all, you can ask your physician or your nurse practitioner, is there a clinical trial that I might, might be eligible for? They can do a search for you. If, if they're too busy, they can't, whatever, uh, then you can go to clinicaltrials.gov as long as you know your diagnosis, because that's a pretty big site with you know lots of different trials. Uh, you can also, like I said, go to a foundation. They will do a search for you, no charge, and tell you this is a trial that you know, like I said, you might be eligible for. What it's like, I felt very safe in a clinical trial because you are monitored so carefully. They, they, everything that you experience, whether you have, you know, you lose an eyelash, they write that down uh, because it makes the data valid. And if they don't have all that information, then physicians who look at that clinical trial will kind of, you know, poo-poo and then think that it is not anything that they can count on. So um, I, like I said, I was in for and if it became necessary for me to be in another one i would sign up you can by the way just as i mentioned um you can leave a trial that you're on for any reason even if it's inconvenient if if you're uncomfortable with for any reason once you sign the consent form you're not stuck in there for the rest of your life right. plus if there are different arms of the trial you know one side gets this drug the other gets that uh and once one arm of the trial does better than the other, they automatically switch you so they don't leave you on the poor product. And, and like I said, they, the people who are involved in trials are researchers. They will give you an awful lot of time. They will answer your questions. And the big, big thing about clinical trials that I always felt was that it's possible that A, you're getting the latest and greatest, and B, that you contribute to uh, the advance of medicine for the people who end up with the same illness that you have that that could possibly benefit. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. I never even, uh, that's one of, those, one of those things that you just don't even uh, think about uh, until it, it, the time comes and then it's good to have that information. Um, all right, let's talk about what, like you have this book and it's available. Let's talk about it very quickly. Is it uh, on Amazon? Like where can people find this book? Yes, it's on Amazon. Absolutely, it's going, on Amazon. If you are a person who likes to go to uh, indie bookstores, it's available there. Uh, and, and that's where you find it. Plus, I speak at 
meetings and so forth. So I have a couple of copies with me yeah. just in case, Mark. Uh, uh, but a lot of sales are definitely through uh, Amazon. But when I speak at support groups and so forth, I um, I bring my book just in case. Well, I'm just I'm looking at it here. Um, hold on. I put her, I put it in the show notes already and I'm going to link to it. I have Kindle unlimited, which is like, uh, you know, you pay per month and it looks like I can just get it with my Kindle unlimited, Cool. which is pretty cool. Um, so I'm going to check that out for sure after we get done here. Um, so let's, let's see. There's one other thing I want to talk to you. Oh yeah. So let's do the book. Somebody reads the book. What's the takeaway? What's the most important thing that you want people to take away from your book? The most important thing is that I hope that people will participate in their health care, meaning before you go to a doctor's office visit or nurse practitioner, whoever you're seeing, make sure you have a, a clear idea of why you're there. Uh, what are your symptoms? What have you done for it? Uh, is there anything that you agree to do or not agree? So you want to make sure that you use the best, you know, make the best use of your time and do all your research, ask the questions, don't be intimidated. If something, if this turns out to be a big, scary diagnosis, go to somebody who specializes in the type of care that you need. But the big thing, my big, big, big thing is ask. Keep asking for what you need and trust yourself. Yeah. Well, that's good stuff. Um, okay. So there's a couple more things I, I wanted to cover here. So, you, you know, you're a cancer survivor. In your in your experience, um, dealing with cancer and learning all about it and just kind of being, you know, I don't want to say you're a cancer expert, but you know more than no, somebody who hasn't. No. <laughs> but so what are some things that you do now that, that are kind of like your you're battling against cancer, like in your everyday life, just things that you do now that's part of your everyday routine? Well, I am uh, in remission. So I am on a maintenance treatment. So I still go for infusions every couple of weeks. And what do I do? So I do that because this is a cancer that there is no cure for and it can come back. So I stay on the treatment. I also make sure that I take good care of myself. And what I can say too is when I was on the first clinical trial, I what I learned is that the better shape you are going in to some major treatment, you, it does not a guarantee that you're going to you know get a cure, but you will be able to tolerate the treatment, and therefore you are more likely to get a response that right. you're hoping for. So what do you do? What do I do? I ex- I swim. I walk. I do some yoga, I meditate, yeah. I, I pace myself because I, I try not to wear myself down to nothing because then I really, because the treatment still has an impact. Uh, you, you try to make, eat well, so make sure your general health is as good as it can be and, and then, you know, you enjoy your life. You right. don't wait around for the end to come right because nobody knows that whether you have cancer or you are 25 years old and doing great yeah you just you enjoy you have some you have some real joy have some fun and do what you love yeah well that that kind of goes you know that you can use that principle for for just any i mean you might get 
like if you're in really good shape, you might that might mean the difference of you surviving a really bad car accident or or you know it's just some sort of accident or something you know. So just like just taking care of yourself and being as healthy as you possibly can be is just a good defense for anything you know. And you can just kind of you know make that a uh, kind of a, a I don't know, an mo you know so to speak. Um, you mentioned enjoy life. I'm gonna ask you something about enjoying life in just a minute. But before that, you're a Toastmasters person, right? Oh boy, yeah, I used to be the local president. So, like, give me, I love doing toasts. I'm a public speaker. I love it. I love talking in front of people. Give me some Toastmasters tips and maybe some of your go tos. Okay. First of all, <laughs> let's see, my toast, it's been a while, yeah. but I can tell you uh, <laughs> when I, what really made an impact on me was when you speak, there was somebody taking notes. Uh, if you said too many uhs, right. And, does so try to make tighten up your speech yeah. make sure that you have great eye contact with everybody in the room and put a little fun in it that's that's what i try to do and make it uh enjoyable and that's you know kind of what i did i yeah. i like to like i said add some fun yeah and even though when topics are pretty serious uh that's what I used to do. Yeah. So it's fine. well, I'll tell you about the last toast that I gave was just a few weeks ago. I I manage a a, a nonprofit in the in the city that I live in, and one of my employees <laughs> was leaving. She got her husband got uh, uh, oh transferred to like you know North Dakota or somewhere crazy. So we had this big kind of going away thing for him. We were at this kind of local bar down the street from the, from our office and just had a few drinks and we're just like saying goodbye. And I was like, all right, everybody here, like all my employees are like around and I was going to do a toast. Well, I hadn't like really thought about it. I usually, I'm usually pretty good at just kind of like going off the cuff, whatever. Well, this time I said, let's a toast to summer. And I said her name. And then like, before I said her husband's name, my brain started thinking about what I was actually going to say. <laughs> And I, and I, then I, so I said it, well then like come to find out I didn't say her husband's name <laughs> and everyone thought that I had just forgotten his name, but I hadn't forgotten his name. I just, I was, you know, I just wasn't prepared. And then I was like, oh, now I feel terrible because now he thinks I forgot his name. I didn't forget your name. And so be prepared people when you're going to give a toast, think about it just right before you do it and uh, make yeah. sure to say the names. <laughs> do, do practice. I mean, right. I've, I've done in the mirror. Yep. kind of you know, rehearsals and and another thing is timing yourself yeah. so that you don't go on for 15 rambling minutes and yeah really start to lose focus right after. right all right so we've talked about your book is there anything else before i get to the final question that you wanted to say or wanted to cover before we before we ask the final question well second opinions third opinions whenever it is that you need it making sure you prepare uh and also really reminding physicians that their words are very powerful yeah patients do take those words home and live with them yeah so if there's a way for them to be supportive and not harsh it makes a big difference in patients attitude and can in their healing right very good okay so now i'm gonna ask you this i think you're gonna like this question we ask this to every guest on the show what is something you enjoy about life or one thing you do to make life more enjoyable Go on the motorcycle with my husband. Yes, that's a good oh, answer. <laughs> I've been doing that, Mark, for a very, very long time. I was 23 when he got his first motorcycle. And I don't know. I just hopped on. I wow. Just, not it. And uh, and it's listen. I used to ride 
to the National Cancer Institute on the back of my husband's bedside. <laughs> I'll tell you something. Used to cheer up all the nurses and doctors. They'd say, yes. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's really about life going on and having a good time and finding, really finding what it is you love to do. So yeah. that's very relaxing. I have to try to stay awake because... I end up falling asleep on the motorcycle. <laughs> well, that's not good. You don't want to fall off the back there uh, on the well, highway. My husband yeah. realizes when I'm falling asleep. So he right. My or he's yeah. like, he looks back and you're gone, and he's like, oh no, when did uh, when did she when did I lose her here? How many hours has it been? Yeah. <laughs> I I hope Mark he would notice it. Before. <laughs> he's just jamming to his podcast or his song and yeah there you go well he's very he's he's careful so he's very focused on what he's doing awesome Uh, i feel safe with him so well this has been awesome i really appreciate this is very informative i I think this is going to be very valuable to our listeners i'm going to put all this stuff in the show notes this will probably go up oh in a couple of weeks and when it does I will I will tech or email you guys the uh, uh, the link and all that and you can share it and all that good stuff. So I really appreciate it. I've already uh, your your book has already been sent to my Kindle, so oh, I'm excited to 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 start reading it. Terrific! Keep uh, advocating for your mom. I will. All right. It's wonderful support. Yeah. Thank you so much. We'll uh, have a great night and thanks for doing this. You too. Thank you. Take all care. Right. Right. Bye bye, Mark. You're listening to the Simply Human Podcast. That was Rena. Thank you so much. She was very pleasant and just a joy to talk to. I do remember her, even though it's been a very long time ago. Um, So we have coming up, and this will probably be pretty quick. uh, We have episode 214 is after 213. And we talk to... Oh, good grief. Oh, it's Nicole Moline. She's in Brooklyn. She was one of the first... Uh, instructors that's right you know you I was so sad you weren't on this call she was the it it was one of the best interviews of all time and she was one of the like she was the second instructor that Peloton hired oh yeah you told me about that yeah so she's kind of a big deal so uh, we had a really good talk about uh, suffering um, and the wilderness and she did an Ironman and she's just uh, she's just awesome so she's coming up next week so um, I believe that's going to do it for this edition of the Simply Human Podcast. Man, remember. She is excited to look at your hips. So until next time, <laughs> enjoy yourself.